The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media US. This episode is sponsored by Roku. The TV streaming landscape is ever evolving and marketers are working hard to stay one step ahead of the trends. With over 75 million active accounts and close partnerships with several publishers and advertising partners, Roku has a unique viewpoint on emerging trends and themes that will shape the industry in 2024. I'm Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and I'm chatting with Jordan Roast, Roku's head of ad marketing, to dive into some of these insights and help guide marketers and you for streaming in 2024. Hi, Jordan. Hello, Allison. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining me. So before we jump into predictions for the year ahead, let's first look back on 2023. Can you share some notable milestones or transformations in the streaming landscape more broadly, as well as Roku more specifically in the past year? Sure. It's been a a big, busy year for a lot of us. I think we saw a couple major shifts and milestones. One, I would say, is for the first time, linear TV viewership dropped beneath 50% for the first time for overall TV video viewership. And so it's become an even more fragmented landscape. And at the same time that that happened, many new streaming services emerged and many of them got into advertising for the first time. And so for marketers, they're looking out across a landscape that's honestly hard to know what's a safe bet anymore. And so for a lot of them in our conversations, they're trying to understand where should we be placing bets? How do we start looking at the marketplace? Where do we start streaming versus linear? And so in a lot of ways, they're re-questioning some of what always used to be their tenets of, oh, we start with linear and, and move into streaming. And many of them are, in fact, planning streaming first and then figuring out how linear can add to their plan. And so in a lot of ways, what was safe 10 years ago, I think is being questioned for the first time in a really big way. Yeah, that's super interesting. So how has Roku responded to that in the past year in terms of giving advertisers the information they need to navigate this decision and this change um, and, and you know, providing products they can use to do that? Yeah, I mean, we we exist. I mean, one of our purposes is to make TV better for everyone. And so that includes advertisers and helping them understand viewership shifts between different channels and different apps. That's also working directly with publishers who distribute through platforms like Roku to understand some of the same dynamics. And then for advertisers, helping them understand where their audiences have gone to. And so that's uh, providing data and insight as to those audience shifts, but it's also helping them actually be able to reach audiences. So for an advertiser who maybe was trying to buy into the NFL, but couldn't because uh, inventory was sold out or it was just too expensive, um, working with them to find those viewers in other environments where they may be uh, more affordably priced into to reaching those audiences. And so it's become a very fluid landscape, um, which presents a lot of opportunity for marketers to get creative uh, and find ways to still reach the same audiences in, in different ways. Yeah. So obviously, we're, we're heading to a place where streaming is overtaking linear. A lot of people are cutting the cord. Do you see and is Roku planning for a world where consumers and and viewers just collectively cut the cord and there's no more cable. What would that look like? What would it look like is a great question. Uh, I think for a lot of us as individuals and streamers and households, mine very much included, I don't really remember a world where we didn't cut the cord and, 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 and primarily work through streaming. I think for 
advertisers, that reality is becoming more plausible. And we've heard from a number of advertisers that they're not removing traditional television, but streaming is taking primacy in their planning and the the majority share of their investment. And so what that world looks like, um, I think, is is also a, a bit of an open question for some advertisers. For a lot of them, they're looking out across a range of streaming services none of which really represent meaningful scale on their own. And so that's leading them to find points of aggregation. A point of aggregation could be like the example I provided before, buying an audience regardless of where that audience is viewing. And so really taking an audience first approach to to buying versus content or channel first approach. Um, It's also where for a platform like ours, a lot of our conversations have started with advertisers to say, can we provide them an understanding of where their viewership exists and then use our targeting capabilities to inform that buy? And then they work with their other streaming partners to fill in gaps um, for specific moments or specific pieces of content that are really integral to their plan. And so more than anything, I think content is still very much king. Um, Who sits atop the throne is very much informed by aggregation and distribution. And so advertisers are really flowing to those points of aggregation. And um, that's the scale. That's the simplicity of buying. That's really driving a lot of the investment there. Right. So that, you know, obviously they want to sort of recreate some of the the volume they get by transacting in linear, but sort of reach audiences versus networks, right? Or demographics or content. So what is, um, obviously the, the, the shift to streaming has kind of been a, I would, I don't know if I call it a slow and steady March, but it's kind of been like linear has been eroding mm-hmm. slowly for some time mm-hmm. when we've, we've hit the tipping point in terms of more people streaming, right. Than watching linear, but if there were to be a world where people cut the cut the cord entirely, like when do you think that might be? Could you put a number on it? I think there's still very much a view for, I, I guess the real question, the answer to the question is, I think we're seeing a real redefinition of what television means. I think for a lot of people who, uh, you know, have been hesitant to cut the cord, they've realized that live television is something that they still only watch in a few areas. And so they're churning in and out of services that provide that experience based on a specific thing they want to watch. And so for those last few holdouts who really want to watch their sports team or want to watch major sports moments, um, I, there's, 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 there's very little preventing people from dipping in and out of those experiences. And so, uh, I think we're, quite close to that becoming not just mainstream, but a a majority uh, of viewership, Uh, there still is very much a role for traditional television in our lives and in advertisers' mixes. Um, I think it's really where we are now is thinking about it all holistically, Mm -hmm. thinking about television and video uh, and ultimately reaching people with sight, sound and motion in in a much more unified way. Um, And so I think that will be the real definition of the marketplace for the next few years. I do not envision a world where there are no pay TV households for the next few years. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it really is upon advertisers to figure out what does that more unified view of the marketplace mean for them uh, in terms of not just the media reach that they need to provide, but storytelling and the new creative formats that are possible in some of these new environments like streaming. Yeah. So you mentioned sports. I mean, that's definitely the one thing really tethering a lot of viewers to linear TV, but we've seen a lot of movement in the past year in terms of different streaming services, gaining sports rights and 
being allowed to stream different games on their platforms. How do you kind of see that shaking out in 2024? And how can Roku help advertisers take advantage of that as, as more sports shift to streaming? Sure. I think in some ways, as as you mentioned, that sports was one of the last holdouts for traditional television. It's also really emblematic of the challenges that streamers, viewers face when looking for content uh, across the streaming landscape. During the NFL kickoff weekend, five households every second searched for something on Roku related to the NFL. And so there's a huge discovery challenge that uh, sports viewership and sports content present to both consumers as well as a range of different audiences. That's a real opportunity for publishers and distributors uh, as well as marketers. And so we've been really heavily invested in not only for uh, consumers helping them just find the content and where to watch the teams that they love and follow the action um, and also go from uh, interesting documentary content about sports into the live uh, sports experience more fluidly and uh, with with more ease, but really help advertisers and companies as a whole understand what all that viewership means. Um, and we've seen a couple of interesting trends over this year that I think will maybe present an interesting view of where things will go next year. Some of them will continue. I'm not sure if Taylor Swift will continue to have an effect on NFL viewership. We'll have to see. We we certainly saw in the beginning, I think the first game that she appeared at for the Chiefs saw a 63% increase in female viewership. So certainly measurable uplift of new audiences coming in to watch. It's anyone's guess if that continues. But one thing that I think will certainly continue is audiences are finding new sports and new sports are breaking through. And so we saw that with viewership of F1. And a lot of that was driven through streaming. In fact, we saw people who watched Drive to Survive on Netflix were nearly five times as likely to watch a live F1 race. Mm -hmm. And so new sports are finding new audiences. In many cases, documentary and shoulder content first and then into the live environment. And so I do believe that will continue and that new sports will find more mainstream audiences. And I do think streaming and streaming content will have a really big impact on that. If I had to bet, my money would be on the WNBA. Uh, We saw a huge viewership over this year. And they said, I think it was their, their top season for the regular season in viewership over the last 21 years. And so I think we're going to see a really big shift towards women's sports in general, but I think the WNBA is in a really well-positioned spot. Yeah. Do you see that, um, you know, some of these less mainstream sports leagues and, and women's sports, like, is that how streamers are going to kind of get into the sports game? They'll, they'll pick up, they'll slowly kind of pick up these different leagues and stuff where they're, that aren't as expensive to get the rights for, and then train people to kind of be able to find sports on their platforms. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, the streaming platforms, including Roku, are certainly in the training business. And, you know, we built a women's sports zone with an eye towards aggregating and helping viewers find the the content that uh, they may not even be aware of previously. So I think that that is certainly going to happen. From a content acquisition or licensing perspective, um, I, I do think it's possible that, you know, we'll start to see, um, and this is a great thing, more investment in the non-traditional or non-mainstream sports uh, and greater diversification there. Uh, I think you'll also see greater investment in the shoulder content and really diving into the stories and the individuals and the personalities who ultimately drive sports. And so all this adds up to there's a very non 
linear, if you will, <laughs> way to get into the sports business. Um, and so that creates, from a viewer's perspective, an incredible amount of choice. Just the range of content created is is immense. And I think a really big opportunity for a platform like ours to really focus on that aggregation and discovery experience, which is where we're very much going to focus. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the viewer experience on Roku and, and how you kind of make that seamless. There's obviously so much choice out there in terms of what to watch and where to watch it. Um, how do you help viewers navigate this massive amount of content that's available? Um, and then how do you kind of do so in a way that's beneficial to your advertisers as well? Yeah. I mean, if you think about the move from broadcast to cable television, the cable TV network was one of the first real, I think, attempts to to do what you just said, is really understand audience, create and curate a series of programming experiences that really tap into fandom and interests um, and ultimately find a way to have for, for, for most of the cable co- uh, networks, an advertiser driven experience that connects the audience and the fandom with what the advertiser is ultimately looking for. And for a lot of streaming, that model has largely persisted in that it's been basically taking that same set of content, distributing it through the internet, maybe adding some more data or technology to make that more interesting. Um, And I think that has worked for quite a while. And in fact, we see a ton of viewership to many of the same places that you would have expected to see content coming from tied to major passion points like food or home or other lifestyle environments. And so I think the real next big unlock is all of that content lives across a wide diaspora of places, different services, content is moving in and out of services all the time. And so it's really a question of figuring out how do you really wrap your arms around all of that content and make it discoverable in a way that's really tailored to the individual uh, point of fandom that may exist. And so um, we recently launched a, a new experience on Roku called All Things Food. As the name would imply, it aggregates all of the best food content that we can wrap our arms around across everything from um, great content from First We Feast and Hot Ones uh, to more traditional uh, TV fare, if you will, from the likes of Food Network and beyond. And so um, figuring out how you really aggregate everything and then make it really personalized and discoverable is really where we're focused. And uh, we launched that with the help of Coca-Cola, who really wanted to help aggregate uh not just the audience, but their own kind of participation in holiday food content and holiday recipes and things like that. And so um, to us, advertisers have always been a really integral part of the TV viewing experience, especially in unique content categories like food. Um, And we'll look to do a lot more of that type of work in the future to really take everything that's out there, make it really findable, personalized and discoverable um, and have advertisers be a really central part of that overall story. Yeah, I know that's super interesting. I saw the Coca-Cola campaign. Um, so so there's there's discoverability and there's sort of like making your way through all of the content on the platform, but then there's also the rise of ad-supported platforms on streaming, right? And, and there's more this year than last year, and maybe there will be more next year. So how are you making the ad experience better and for consumers and viewers, and then also more effective for advertisers? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it starts with the consumer experience. And so when we launched the Roku channel a number of years ago, we had one of the lightest ad loads in the business and many others have followed suit. Um, and that is really still very much our North Star is really making sure that a good advertiser experience is part of an overall good consumer experience. And so that starts with just the volume and the context in which we incorporate advertising. It also comes down to just thinking about the basics from an advertising perspective of frequency, making sure that the same household or the same individuals are not seeing the same ads over and over and over again. And we hear from marketers that this is a real challenge that they're facing more than ever in traditional TV, where they're still delivering the same number of impressions, but it's the same household over and over and over again who's seeing the same ads. And I know I experienced this myself, mm -hmm. even in some of the more traditional streaming environments during live sports events and things like that. And so um, ad load and ad frequency is something that we monitor very closely across a number of different dimensions. Mm. And then I think the last thing is from an advertising perspective in streaming, a good bit of the volume and the focus has been very much taking what's worked in traditional television and simply bringing that over into streaming. And so that's in many cases, the same 15 or 30 second ads running in streaming airtime. And we think there's so much more opportunity to have a brand tell its story in streaming. And so that's everything from advertisers participating in our home screen with our large marquee ad and directing them into shopping experiences from one click away from our home screen. That's having brands like Disney and Cinderella's Castle appear in Roku City, which we're really excited about. And so the entire canvas has been completely reinvented. And we're really excited to help advertisers really reconsider what television advertising means. And it goes far beyond traditional ad formats like a traditional video spot. Mm. Well, what's also changing is the measurability of some of these ads and something that's interesting that's been happening the past year is the convergence of commerce and retail media and streaming. Talk about how Roku is embracing that convergence and what you're kind of doing around shoppable TV. Sure. So no surprise that retail media and connected TV get talked about in the same conversations. They're the fastest growing parts of the advertising marketplace. We think they're really compatible for a few different reasons. First, uh, I've worked in consumer packaged goods for a number of years. Shopper marketing and trade marketing has been in the process of reinvention for decades, I would say now. And the more that that has become digitized, uh, it's a really natural fit to take that farther up the funnel into television advertising, which especially for many of those brands in consumer packaged goods, for example... Thinking back decades ago, TV was nearly 100% of their media mix. And so the opportunity to really deliver a true full funnel uh, media strategy and measurement strategy is really attractive. Um, and so from an advertiser perspective, it's a no-brainer. From the media, the retail media networks themselves, they're really excited by the opportunity to break into... Uh, television budgets and television marketers um, that I think are a really good complement to their more traditional shopper marketing. Um, and I think what's what's been really interesting from our experimentation and innovation in this space is it's really, I think, provably showing the role that television has played in marketers mix uh, throughout the last few years. And so throughout 
at least our first few campaigns working with Instacart to measure effectiveness of television advertising on Roku um, with commerce that's happening on their platform, 50% of transactions have been for consumers that were new to the brand that was advertised. And so I think we've always thought about television as a true you know, incrementality channel about an impulse. Um, but now that we can actually tie that to transactions that are actually proving the new to brand effect, I think we'll start to see some really interesting creative and even just overall kind of shopper marketing strategies that tie the actual basket to the impulse that's happening and possibly condense that shopper's journey towards an instant, not a journey at all. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential for for media owners and and retailers and brands. But do you feel like consumers are adopting this behavior yet? And what is Roku doing to kind of train them on that? Yeah, I think training is probably the right word. Um, in terms of shopability, I think shopability is also not a monolith. We have innovated and, and launched on-screen checkout experiences. And those have been really valuable for certain categories where... Um, for a relatively low consideration product set or one that I have prior experience with um, who I maybe want to reorder and seeing a TV ad helped me remind myself that I needed to stock back up on something. I think there's been a lot of lower friction to adoption there. Our main focus is I think really to your point about training, like really educating the viewer that a television ad is something that you actually can interact with for some, we'd at least want to prove that that can translate into on-screen checkout. And that's been really interesting to see the pain points along the journey to get there. Everything from, uh, you know, if you have a credit card on file, that's going to make it far easier to convert, as you'd imagine, versus having to enter your credit card information on screen. And so that's why when we launched our on-screen checkout, the, the Roku Pay, which is our wallet s- service, was a really integral part of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the the more kind of fundamental question is, how do we really help uh, TV viewers uh, understand that there's more on the other side of the click? And so, as I mentioned, people and brands are advertising on our home screen. In a lot of cases, when they jump right into that experience, we're providing increasingly more shoppable experiences where even if they're not necessarily buying the product there, they're getting comfortable with the idea that they can customize a car and really cycle through a couple of different wheel sets that they would put on their car or uh, experimenting with different uh, outfits that they can customize. And the second goal for us is really reducing the friction to turn that interest and attention to an intention. And so uh, making it easy for them to put that collection of pieces of clothing into a shopping cart that they can then complete the transaction on their phone. Mm -hmm. And so we're really focused on helping to reduce the friction and make it a more palatable experience for consumers to just even know that they can interact uh, with the things that they're seeing on their screen. Right. So first half of the year, we have TV's historical biggest moment, which is the upfronts. Given everything we just spoke about, how is that going to look this year? Um, How is the upfront, do you think, going to change? And will it become less important moving forward? If you think about what the upfront has always represented, it's about reducing risk for advertisers, for publishers. And so that need doesn't go away. Um, I think what we've seen over the last few years has been 
the desire to do that, but still remain flexible. I think with certainly all the COVID shutdowns, there was a need to turn markets on and off. And I think for for many of the, the marketers, they were able to really get that or at least prioritize working with publishers and platforms that were enabling that flexibility. I think that will certainly continue. I think what you will see in this upfront cycle is a real prioritization over the providers who can provably show meaningful scale. Uh, and I think there's a ton of entrants looking to, uh, you know, j- join the market and are, you know, looking for advertisers to go on a five-year journey with them. And I think that will certainly be attractive for a lot of marketers. But what we've heard time and again is experimentation is great and we'll do that at the margins. But for us to really place bets and really move first uh, in an upfront market scale innovation and provable impact is is table stakes. And so thinking about the upfront specifically, that has always really rewarded the traditional TV players. Uh, and I think that will, to, to some degree, is based on where we started the conversation, be in question. But you will start to see, I think, really rapid experimentation at the margins with others. And really what's left at the center is if you can, as a you know media provider, really prove that you can deliver large scale audience reach with impactful advertising experiences. A lot of really exciting things to come. Awesome. Well, it sounds like it's going to be another really exciting and dynamic year in the streaming space. So thank you, Jordan, for joining me. And I look forward to see what Roku has in store. Likewise. Thanks very much. Happy holidays and appreciate it.